Hi everyone, and welcome to Touching Into Presence. Today we're speaking with Jade Wood. Jade is a somatic movement educator, biodynamic cranial sacral therapist, and a Feldenkrais practitioner in her final year of training. She's also the pedagogical director of a 100-hour somatic in-training, a unique blend of somatic self-awareness and yin yoga. Jade is an all-around appreciator of the art of movement and stillness and loves a good cuppa and a book of poetry. Originally from England, she now teaches globally and has been grateful to count amongst her many teachers Paul Grilly, Angela Farmer, and Franklin Sales. It was really lovely to have Jade on, and we're sure you all love what she has to share. That all said, let's begin the show. Hey, Jade. Hello. How are Hi. you? Hi. Hi, nice to meet you, Nikki. Nice to meet you, too. Looking forward to our chat. Now, this is really exciting as well, because this is our first, um, our first time going together with someone. So it's going to be fun figuring out like, uh, 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 no, you, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Jade. So it's nice to meet you. And I was reading a little bit about your background. And I'm curious how your, so you began your bodywork journey as a acro yoga or theater creative movement something like that can you can you elaborate on your start of the body work hi Nikki uh it's also it's lovely to meet you and I will say uh shameless little bit of sucking up at the beginning I really enjoyed listening to your interview the other day with Andrew it was lovely I was like oh gyrotonics and body work this sounds amazing so um I'm very happy to be talking with you as well as my dear friend Andrew um, so yeah, you, you, you kind of pinned it. It is a bit of an amalgamation of, um, theater, circus, yoga. Funnily, the acro yoga thing arrived really late. Uh, I was so, so late to that party. I mean, I'm British, right? So it was an American phenomenon happening in the early 2000s. And, um, you know, Britain's always behind on all this cool stuff. So I got a taste of it, um, when I was at circus school, which would have been somewhere around 2007, uh, which time, yeah, I'd, I'd sort of pursued a, a slightly off-piste um, interest in, in circus having done a theatre degree. So I kind of came from theatre first, then got into more performative arts, physical theatre, then um, yoga was to supplement like crazy stress during my circus tra tra uh, training <laughs> could say straining very easily my circus training um, <laughs> and then uh, and then I'd also been a massage practitioner from from before and then acro yoga kind of turned up and I was like wow it's all my favorite things this is great yeah, yeah and so then you brought that so then you started from kind of this theatrical maybe bigger bigger movement and then you found your way in your a biodynamic cranial sacral practitioner correct yeah so it went and, uh, from a lot of performing to a lot of listening so um yes i so i think that journey is really fascinating of when i was 
listening to your bio, I kept on having this sense of a yin yang relationship of the theater acro, which is, you know, I, 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 I've only experienced acro a little bit, but you know, that's, it requires precision and kind of finding alignment or else you'll, you know, miss your partner <laughs> as they're spinning around on your legs. And then with the biodynamic cranial work, also this flow sense state, but having to maybe be a little less attached to precision and kind of following the flow of your, your client. Yeah. Beautifully, beautifully said. Yes, I think that as I would like to hear your journey of like how you hold those, like you came from this one place and then and now into this like more tracking flow, less big movements. Yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, very honestly, the the circus work that I did was really gross and basic and um, unrefined would probably be a great way to describe it. Um, I went to a very basic circus, not even academy, a training center. And um, there was not much body awareness that was taught there. What's cool is that Adra and I have actually spoken on numerous occasions how that partner work, especially acrobalance, really helps to develop your sensory perceptive abilities. You know, it's it's an extension of your uh, fascial connectivity. Like straight through, you feel the balance point of someone's back or their feet on the floor as you stand or handstand or whatever it is you're doing with them in balance. And it's an amazing nervous system uh, connective dance. Um, but a lot of the other circus stuff that I was doing was so unnuanced. I mean, it was really like, get up there and do that trick. And it doesn't matter how you do it. And in a funny way, that's that's kind of how I ended up going on this on this journey of, for want of a better word, healing, is because I had a, a very early burnout. Um, 21, 22 years old, I'd pushed myself physically to the limits of, of what I could take and in an unnuanced uh, way. And yeah, I had I had a full-on crash and burn. And I had to, I had to get out and, it, and, and, you know, I had one of those silver lining circumstances where a relationship ended and I took an opportunity and I took a flight to Bali. Um, my father had been living there before, so I actually knew Bali kind of well. And, and I, I just went to take some time out and ended up on a yoga training and ended up never really going back to the UK just went, okay, bye, bye life in the UK. This is too much for me. Uh, because I realized how badly I had been abusing my body and my nervous system. And I'd been working like three different jobs. I'd been doing circus work. Um, I'd been living in Bristol, so I'd also been partying a fair bit. And, and I needed a break. And so it was a, it was a really... Um, harsh reality call to make. Uh, and and I, I mean, the yoga training, I did kick my ass. Kicked my emotional ass more than a more than physical one, but I was so weirdly developed in strange ways from just making myself do these crazy tricks that also the, the roundedness of yoga asana was just like, 
this is tough. This is tough to, to actually be sensitive because actually I've been numbing myself to do all mm. these tricks. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mother yeah. Bali cradled you. So I just, I, I went on this huge journey of, I got to look after myself. This is not, I, I you know, I couldn't, I couldn't continue uh, treating myself that way. Nice to have experienced that quite early in life. I'm lucky in a way. <laughs> yeah, it's, an, it's sort of, um, I find that a lot of people we end up speaking to that get into the work and, and stay with it. Because in, in the U.S., people get into massage and I think there's like a, a one and a half or two year like period and then they usually get out of it. There's like been statistics shown on that. But people who I think go, go deeper whether it's intracranial, whether it's into Feldenkrais or, or Rolfing, practices that are a little bit more, I don't want to say a little more awareness-based because I think massage therapists may get offended by that, but things that really have you listening inwards as much as listening with the other people, a lot of them get into it from from burning out or from 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 various different, different extremes. Um, and... I know that from my experience in the Rolfing Institute, um, Nikki, you may have different, but like a lot of people that come into it, they're all coming because they, not all, a lot are coming because they, they burnt out, they had something, they had all these physical issues and they were like, they were helped through that. And they said, wow, this is great. I, I, I want to help other people now because I, I couldn't find, I saw the Cairo, I saw the, the physio, I saw the acupuncturist, I couldn't get help and i found these practices they helped me i now want to also share that with the world um i know nikki do you feel that's the same in your experience somewhat through the institute absolutely i think that with rolfing it there sure there's the practitioner who is there to to nudge the the person the nervous system the story however we want to identify it uh, but ultimately, though, what we're calling on is for the client to to tap in and take authority of their their health and their body, and that they were there just to guide them. And I think from people who come into the training as a massage therapist, just kind of talking to the burnout aspect of it. For someone who's trained in both, I ended up getting my massage license afterwards to practice legally in New York. The training as a massage therapist is, you know, and I love getting massage, so it's not knocking that modality whatsoever. But it that's more of a like you go in to check out. You you really go in mm-hmm. to to get to have that opportunity to relax and to be be touched. And there's less of a demand to have to be embodied per se in terms of dialogue and checking out where you are in space. So I think with with people who choose to come and do the Rolf training or any kind of structural integrative training or somatic training is that they're now craving that desire to have that relationship with the client and calling on them more to be involved in their, their body experience. So I think that's kind of the kind of the attraction to coming into the training. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I think um, something you said kind of made me 
go back to what you were saying before about the, the theater and the acro and for you, Jade, and correct me. Um, like I think of theater, I think of acro as very much like spotlight, a bit of like, look at me and, and I'm, I'm performing and that sort of thing. And, and the, where you are now, which is almost in some ways for me, the exact opposite, like you're somatic in, um, your Feldenkrais and your cranial, which are all, and how I view it is like, let's, let's not look at me. Let's look inwards. Let's go slower. Let's not make this a show, but let's actually inquire more. Uh, I don't know if, um, if you have more to share, do you, I think you'll word it a lot better. How does that resonate with you? It's lovely, especially this word inquire, you know, uh, I definitely think, uh, and especially to, to come back to what you were saying as well, Nikki, these these things that we do are so much about the art of inquiry. If I want to, you know, work with my empowered, curious, and, um, and my own self-agency, I'm going to go to a somatic therapist. But if I want to have uh, a sort of slightly checked out experience, I might go and get a massage, you know, so I don't go to, to get an, you know, an oil massage. If I, if I want to do the work, <laughs> I'll go to my somatic movement therapist. Um, and I think this, this whole thing about inquiry-based learning, about stimulating the interest for ourselves and for people, again, in, in our unique ability to sense you know, all these different ways in which us as individuals experience the world from the inside out and then how it sort of circulates back around and, and then, you know, re-influences us is, is an incredible area of work to be in. It's, it's rich, it's surprising, it's always rewarding. And I think especially in times like this, again, kind of coming from burnout places or especially when people kind of, and I'll, I'll speak from my own experience, feel a bit lost uh, within society, really not knowing what it's like, um, what my place is, sorry, more like what my place is like in society as a highly sensitive person, then this, uh, this space for self-inquiry, for exploration, for self-development and, um, and reintegration of all these things that we feel is incredibly necessary. And, uh, and I think that goes kind of across the board, board, not just for highly sensitive people, but for all people. I like that. Can you talk more about, so for being maybe a, a highly sensitive person in society, how does the somatic inquiry, what do you learn about yourself that then helps maybe find your place in society? It kind of bridges that inquiry into confidence, into owning your space in the, the, the big wild world of other people. Yeah, it's a big question. <laughs> it's a big old question. Uh, and, that, and, and I love that you, you helped preclude it by saying, you know, finding your space. I think that's a huge one. Um, being sensitive, I think. Uh, and do, do you guys, um, what's the word, associate with being HSP or, or sensitive? Not, you know, just going, oh, I'm really special. But, you know, <laughs> on that spectrum of, wow, I'm a super sensitive uh, kind of kind of circuited person uh i personally uh i mean i don't have that but i do have someone very close to me who does associate to being very sensitive so i'm aware of, of that mm -hmm. i'm um <laughs> i'm i don't like 
names. So I'm, <laughs> I never, I, I'm both, I'm extremely highly sensitive and also the uh, opposite. I, I find myself having trouble ever plotting myself anywhere on a, on a map. So yes and no. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think yeah, it's it's hard just you know donning that badge and being like I'm an empath. I'm highly sensitive. Mm. Well, it can also be limiting. Um, what I was going to say was you know in reference to that, I think from my experience, I spent a lot of time apologizing for who I was for being for being so sensitive, and these somatic practices of getting in touch and, and acknowledging my felt sense of awareness, acknowledging the emotions and the tones of sensation that were either dormant or latent within me, allow me to take up space. You know, I had become habituated to being small. And this is what's kind of funny about the performing thing was because performance allowed me to have big emotions. You have to, you have to perform big, especially in circus. Um, so maybe there was a creative outlet there, um, for all of these big feelings, but in, in the regular world, um, you know, it's not quite so, uh, acceptable. So definitely these, these practices have really helped me to get in touch with them, to take up the space that I need, but also process them in a way that's, um, that's useful, you know, that it's not kind of acting out, that's healthy, well-grounded, um, and it's, I mean, most of it's just a huge permission piece. I think the biggest part of, of my work with myself or with other people is permission. Permission to feel. Okay, that's there. Yeah. Feel that. And not even getting so caught up in the story of what it means or how it got there. Or will we get rid of it? It's um, mostly like, okay, here we are with this. And how is it to be with this? Um, yeah, that's... that's yeah, that's been a big one for me is, is is letting go of the story of even like it's great. My linear thought will be like, okay, well, let's find the story uh, and and how that got there, so we can, you know, if you find the root, you can you can trim it. But then also recognizing the story doesn't always matter, uh, and sometimes just even recognizing that something is there, whatever it's there, actually allows it to to stay or go. Uh, and gives it the permission instead of keeping you locked in that cycle of uh, this is a story. Okay, I got to go, and and, um, and that's been a big thing in my own world. Wonderful. It's yeah. I think this this whole thing of of stories, origins, ways we make sense of things, our narrative. You can call it many different things. Um, but to yeah, to step back from from having to to know first of all, because sometimes you can't know. Sometimes we literally can't know like where this this feeling came from, and to be all right with that is also huge. Um, to not know why, and um, yeah, there's there's a huge amount of potency in the unknown as well if we can be with it comfortably and safely. And I think that's also another thing that a lot of us are grappling with right now, is the unknown is is sort of all around us and we're cloaked in it. And and I heard someone say really beautifully the other day that uh, some of our struggles is us coming out of the myth of uh, of knowing what it was that was coming next, you know, the myth of certainty. Yes, I would I would agree with that, and that that is really beautifully said. And I think 
with this, and we're in an interesting time right now because of the pandemic creating so many unknowns. We're, we're having, whether we like it or not, having to feel, feel what it's like to not go to work, feel what it's like to, or your work life has changed. Feel what it's like to be with your family all the time if you're with family. Feel what it's like not having family if you're not. I mean, there's so many feelings that this pandemic is um, forcing upon us. And I think, you know, what you might have picked up on my previous podcast is that how movement's so key right now to still stay embodied, still not become unwound with our structure, that there is this way of dancing and feeling in, especially in a very unregulated world that we're in right now. And I think it teaches our nervous system that, you know, we we're, we're quite tolerant of all things, not just the bliss and beauty and certainty that we also can thrive in a very scary time with a virus out there that's new and we don't know what's going on with it and it's you know the mortality rate I mean that piece with the New York was it it the New York Times Andrew do you know this the the the, um I don't read the news I'm the wrong person to ask for that stuff I think it came out the New York Times the publication when newspaper publication has like a whole page of pretty much everybody who has died Hmm. and with little four words about the individual. And it's very powerful image to see. And just at a moment's glance of the page, you get to you get to learn a little bit about the person who once was here, but then has now passed because of the virus. So, but, so I apologize not being, owning that credit, but, but if you're paying attention to anything on the, social media regular media overhearing people I mean, this is like on constant reel of what the world is experiencing and everybody's going to have that emotional impact around it so you know jade i would like to hear more from your experience with your work how how have you seen with maybe your clients and maybe even speaking from yourself from coming from a highly sensitive person Frequently, being able to frequent experiences with your emotion, how has that shifted in your nervous system? Huh. <laughs> I don't know if I have a, a, a full answer for that uh, yet, if I'm really honest. It's, uh, it's one that's still being crafted. I think I still feel very much in the midst of it and figuring out how to meet it. This is a new kind of visitor. Uh, what I have been reminded of and, and something nice that you mentioned was about, about what we can take and, and about resiliency. And I think this, this piece about resiliency and fragility together is really beautiful that there is this dichotomy of our system, of our nervous system, you know, somewhere tacking between um being being rested and and receiving and then being activated and ready for ready to go and and that dance between you know yeah our our rest and our resiliency and i think that's that's kind of been the main 
in in the in the foreground of of what I've been noticing in myself in my practice. Um, and as you asked about clients, uh, so I've just been doing phone sessions and guided guided awareness sessions of uh, felt sense and some very very basic uh, movement pieces, but nothing taxing. Uh, and it is amazing after forty five minutes how resilient someone's system can be. You know, a little bit of access to the ground, and I love how simple that is. Like. A little bit of time on the ground and, and feeling the back of your pelvis and feeling the imprint of a shoulder blade or a turn of the head. I mean, this is not rocket science movement that I'm doing at all. It's so, so delicate and small and gentle. But the impact can be profound of that, oh, wow, I, I have a sense of myself. I have a, a, a feeling because, you know, so many people often think of their, their brain, their thoughts. Um, this thing is, as being almost separate from themselves, you know, I have a brain and I also have a body. Um, and it, it can feel like that people can kind of go around with these little bubble heads going on or, or with, with all of their anxieties or their huge, um, responsibilities being held in this space and, and then lying on the floor and feeling the weight of your cranium settle onto the cushion or towel feeling the density of your brain tissue start to sort of rest into the back of your head. And suddenly people have a head that's connected to their neck, that's connected to their spine, that's connected to their whole self again. And the huge shift that that can inspire. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I, I, you know, I don't take credit for that. That's, that's the beauty of embodied work, right? If, if someone's ready to feel, then all the gifts are right there. Um, it, it's almost insultingly easy. <laughs> especially when I get like all worked up and in a funk I know that the best medicine is to get down on the floor and spend 30 minutes listening to myself not even making myself breathe a certain way not not doing anything you know funky um but wow when I'm in a funk <laughs> myself getting down on the floor is difficult yeah, we we I remember we talked about this personally, you and me, Jade. I don't remember if I talked about it on, with you, Nikki, on the on the episode before, but a few weeks ago when I recorded the first episode and completely didn't record it and realized afterwards, and I was in such a funk, I just went and did some Feldenkrais and I just did some aware movements, and I felt that negativity, that anger that was in me, I felt it dissipate and travel through me, just just by doing some small movements, um, really dropping inwards and allowing whatever was there to, to, like we said before, the story didn't really matter. The thing came up, it was there. And if I wanted to say it could, and it was sort of like, you, you don't need to be here anymore. You can, you can go. Um, but it was, it was not serious physical asana doing headstand for an hour. It was, it was moving and, and, and moving how my body wanted to move. Well, I think that it speaks to the, to two things that why maybe it's so powerful is that we often don't spend the time to, to honor our own personal authority, that our body has the ability to really guide us, that often we're looking for help. We're looking for someone else to tell us what to do. And I think that's 
what's really awesome about rolfing is that you and, and, and having a coach is really great. I think, you know, there's great service in a coach. And then there's also a great service of, you know, being your own coach and setting your mind straight and doing it yourself. And I think the, the, the why these subtle movements can be so powerful is that you really are honoring your own internal dialogue and that dictates how you would move. And, you know, we're speaking about somatic movement that I think we all are kind of trained in in one way or another. But for listeners who may not know what somatic is, it's just taking the time to lie down, be with your thoughts and move in a way that your body craves and not being held to a prescription of this is the right way to move. And I, I personally love that dance because I, I love all types of movement. I mean, before coming, you know, I'm in my yoga studio, you can, you know, I have my yoga wall, have my, you know, somatic fun tools. But prior to that, I was in my garage lifting dumbbells and doing more prescribed movements that also have great joy and fundamental uh, purposes. So, yeah, I, th I think it's, but I, I really like how you, Jade, how you said it's insultingly easy because <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> well, but it, it is and it isn't. Um, it's, it's, it's like you have to, I think of it, you have to peel all the layers of, of what you think, you know, and so everything thinks it should be more. Um, we had a great, we had a, a great, in my uh, phase three training, we had a great, um, lesson. I think there was actually in the other people's phase two, we had a guy named Liam and he could, he could overthink things much like myself. And his teacher said, Liam, you have to remember Liam stands for less is always more. And so I, I think of him a lot and it's like, less is always more. It is. It's we, we, we as humans, I think want to overcomplicate things. We want to do more. We want to, um, because there's this, there is this sense of, hmm? That's how our system of reward works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, look at look at our governments. I don't want to go too political, but like, more is good. This is you know, uh, whoever has what's there was like that bumper sticker. Whoever has the most toys wins, right? Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, I won't go into sort of that all thing and, and the choice. But yeah, the I think the the complicated thing is the irony is learning how to do less, therefore to do more. That's and that's something, yeah, that's something I'm in every, every day is how do I do less? <laughs> um, and, and learning how to do less, I think sometimes also includes how to learn what it is we learned, the adaptations that we made, whether they're societal, cultural, whether we made adaptations because of an injury. Um, and largely, most of these are, are cultivated through self-protection. Maybe, maybe culture less so. It's, it's, you know, it's more subliminal in, in um, a wider sense. Um, but I think a large part of the somatic journey is, as you say, unlearning. Is gently, really permissibly, gently, kindly releasing the barriers that we've accidentally constructed you know, ways in which we get in our own way, habits of doing things, of, of clenching, of squeezing, of straining, of 
um, of trying too hard. And I think, I mean, you know, to speak to the capitalist, capitalist, ooh, there we are, to speak to the capitalist idiot is that we have been told about the fruits of hard work, you know, nothing's worth doing if it, you know, if it wasn't difficult. And that's such a disabling paradigm to live by. Uh, and I think it's systemic within our society. If, if we were allowed to prioritize pleasure rather than pain, you know, no pain, no gain, what a different way we would inhabit our bodies, let alone our entire society. And um, so, yeah, it's this, this very slow on a, on a very <laughs> small way doing that work of peeling back layers of how we might have been getting in our way, how we might have been accidentally rewarding ourselves for strain and, um, and beginning, and I'll go back to what you were saying, Nikki, about, uh, about what somatic movement really is, but beginning to receive sensations through our movement so that we don't become just a, a, an agent of doing things. You know, our body is not just a, a platform of stuff to be done, but it's a whole gift box of things to be received. Hmm. You know? Gift box. I like it. <laughs> um, I just like sharing. I mean, Jade and I have known each other for um, over seven years. We met in a cranial circle training a long time ago. And I'm just happy to share her with this greater community because these are what our conversations are like a lot. Um, sometimes over dim sum and sometimes over the, over the WhatsApp. Uh, so I'm just happy to share because I think she has so much to offer in her, in her, her gift box and her toolbox of, of, of knowledge. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, we're at around that time range where we like to keep things. Um, uh, but I, I also like things to, to flow if they're, if there is more either of you feel you want to say or ask or, or do, um, now's the time. We also um, can have another one in the future as well. There's no reason you can only talk once on the show and then done. That's your platform. <laughs> yeah. Speak and be gone. <laughs> you better make sure you said it all. Yeah. I'd <laughs> be horrible that I'm always like, the next day, like, oh, that's the, that's what I wanted to say. Uh, like when I work with clients, a lot of times the next day I'll send an email and sort of like, so this is an exercise or this is that this is you know, because I'm I realize I don't in the end of that like my that my processing is is very I'm a slow learner. It takes that time to to go through. Um, luckily, I have somatic movements to help with that. Yeah, to decelerate. To, well, well, to come back to to your natural pace, which is so, which is so awesome. Especially that you recognize it. It's it's such a liberating thing to be able to say proudly, "I'm a slow learner." I think that's wonderful. You know, my my phase three for Rolfing really helped with that. Um, I, I've said it before. I, I just wasn't. Afterwards, I looked at how I was as a student through through feedback in lots of ways, and, and that really helped me a lot of a lot of ways to um to yeah, just to keep on the path where i am well i think you're also kind of speaking to kind of the hallmark of rolfing is the work doesn't stop working once the session's over with oh and, I have that one. yeah tell me yeah. more about 
Well, I mean, we're all t- when we're talking about embodiment and you know what we learn, and the, I, it isn't the point to to gain this relationship, to dive into the sensation, to dance in your gift box, and then see how that moves us through life. And it's not a one one and done, wham bam, thank you, ma'am type of type of thing. That's embodiment has phases and we and we 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 evolve i mean we came from depending on your your thoughts but you know the demands of life turned us from little one cell organisms into these these people walking on their legs and holding this radium <laughs> on so we're we're relating to to what our, our needs are. And when we have that relationship, then we're constantly evolving and relating to the world in new ways or in, or in old ways that have served us. So, you know, embodiment isn't always abandoning what, what we are. It's kind of taking, taking what, you know, I put, this is a thing from the Rolf Institute that I learned is that we take what has served us and we get rid of what's limited us. Mm-hmm. And the, hopefully that's what, what we can, everybody can do in, in their lives. And it doesn't. Absolutely. And those things, those things that maybe weren't so great for us were the best teachers. You know, I really like this, this way of, of working that, that we can pick up all of these different experiences along the path. Um, and that with with the right approach, and what I mean by the right approach is not necessarily like you know a systematic approach of you know do this, uh, but with with a constructive approach to our own evolving selfhood, that we pick up all of these different experiences of life, and and we can kind of tether them into our coats and and see how they can continue to influence the journey, and this is something actually that um, that I find myself. Uh, contemplating quite a lot at the moment, especially because of how I'm adapting, how I'm working and how I'm having conversations with colleagues at the moment about um, recognizing different fields of awareness and different fields of uh, interconnection and how, how experiences shape us. Um, with this resiliency piece, oh, I'm kind of trying to link in too many things at once. I can feel it. I'm just like, I don't know about resiliency thing. And then we've got these like limiting experiences that happen along the way. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'm going to reduce it down. What I'm trying to say is in a really busy way is that in some way, health is always present and learning is always available to us. And it's about how it, how we metabolize those experiences for our own benefit. And sometimes, you know, how, how long that takes, that can be huge cycles. So like you were saying, you can come out of a treatment and the full impact of that treatment can, can come full circle maybe two years later. Have either of you ever experienced this? Oh, that yeah. you suddenly get a lesson from a treatment you received from someone way back. It's like, whoa, I feel this now. I get what that was was telling me. So this is, this is what's super cool that the timeline 
that we're living on and that we're experiencing ourselves is kind of continuous, cyclic, and all happening at once, it seems. So maybe that's too big a, <laughs> too big a thing to tackle in the, in the rest of this chat. But, um, but it does speak to the quantum field, that everything that has ever happened to us is happening to us. And how we're choosing to metabolize and express that experience is very much up to us. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool stuff. <laughs> well said. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's probably a pretty good place to, um, it's hard to go anywhere, anywhere up from there. Um, thank you, Jade, for sharing your journey. Yeah. And, thank you uh, both so much. Thanks for asking such incredibly interesting questions. I mean, I could sit here for hours and talk with you both. Um, it's it's really a, a pleasure to well, uh, to sit in a triad of nerds. <laughs> well, I think that's part of where this sort of podcast idea came from was like again having conversations and with with people in the field and sharing ideas and thoughts and and um, like I know when Nikki and I first started talking, it was very similar. It was just sort of like talking and then like and I was like, oh my god, it's been an hour. We have other stuff we got to do, um, you know. Uh, and so it's nice that we've been able to tune it into something productive and, and getting more voices and then sharing that with other people as well. So, yeah. Lovely, Super. Lovely. All right. Well, well everyone have your days. Yeah. Yeah. We're all in different parts of the world. So <laughs> have a good sleep, have a good breakfast. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. You can find more information about our delightful guest today, Jade Wood at jadewoodyoga.com. Your co-hosts today were Nikki Olson and Andrew Rosenstock. We have some exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, and we're excited to share these conversations with you. If you have topics you'd like to hear about, or people you believe we should speak with, please let us know. Wishing you a safe and beautiful day to come. Thank you.